Before I ask you to stand and uh, rise as we read God's word, I, I hope that uh, we'll, we'll wait for this precious moment, absolutely. Um, I hope you have found our time in the Psalms this summer enjoyable. The Psalms, to me, are a special, special thing. Um, for in the Psalms, we find all of our emotions, don't we? We find fear, we find joy, we find tears, we find laughter. And what I've tried to focus on this summer is how it is and why it is that we praise the Lord. And the psalm that we're going to read today and and walk through today is yet another example of showing us just why it is and how it is that we praise the Lord. So please rise as we read God's Word from Psalm 111 here this morning. Hear the reading of God's Word. Praise the Lord! I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, you have said to us that The grass will wither, the flowers will die, but your word, the word that you have given to us, this word that we've just read here this morning, it will stand forever. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use the words of this humble servant to take your everlasting word to the people gathered here today, that you would mold and shape lives by your strength, by your power, by your faithfulness. We pray this, all of this, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One of the greatest places on earth. Can you guess what it is that I'm going to say? One of the greatest places on earth, in my mind, that I've ever been to is some little place called Yellowstone National Park. I was there a couple times when I was a child, and each time I went there, I have a special memory of some event or series of events that have taken place. I went there another time when Heidi and I were first married, and some other time I'll tell you some interesting and fun stories about what happened to us in that time that we were going to Yellowstone National Park in in that time. But Yellowstone is full of glory. It's full of majesty, it's full of grace, and it's full of the wonders of the Lord's creation. I hope that someday each and every one of you will have an opportunity to visit Yellowstone. There's really no quite, there's no place quite like it on earth. The times that I have been there have been amazing. But there's an interesting phenomenon that happens at Yellowstone National Park. If you've ever been there, you'll soon catch on to what I'm talking about. You have ideas of what that phenomenon may be. There's mud pots that boil up over their their banks, and there's just this oozing mud that comes from the center of the earth. There There are amazing sulfur springs that smell like rotten eggs, but they're so beautiful and glorious that you just get past the nasty smell. 
Then there's Old Faithful, right? Maybe that's the one thing that we think of as the most amazing phenomenon. It's like clockwork. This massive geyser erupts each and every day, multiple times a day. But I'm not talking about Old Faithful geyser, nor am I talking about the Old Faithful Inn, which is its own thing altogether. If you go to Yellowstone, you just have, if you don't stay at the inn, you need to at least go there. The phenomenon that I'm talking about is as you drive through Yellowstone on these very narrow streets, and it's a jam-packed place, you'll be driving along, mind your own business, enjoying the beautiful, wondrous scenery, and all of a sudden there's a traffic jam. You're like, why? Why is there this massive traffic jam in the middle of who knows where or why? And then you begin to see. People are standing outside of their cars. They got their cameras. They got their phones. Everyone's eyes are huge. Perhaps they've seen a massive bull bison or a herd of elk. Or if you're really lucky, a bear and her cub. You see, people are in awe of things like bears, of buffalo that they don't see every day. Because when I drive down the road, I don't stop, and neither do you, when we see a herd of cows on the side of the road. We don't stop and take pictures of sheep or deer, because we see those things every day, and they're just kind of, we, we know them, and all right, they're, they're just there. But they're not necessarily awe-inspiring, like staring face-to-face with a thousand-pound buffalo that could kill you. People are in awe of elk with massive antlers. We're struck by the beauty of these creatures. We're struck by the amazement of all, by the, by the sheer majesty of them all. Why? We're struck by the sense of strength and power, aren't we? Because in some way, it puts us in our place to say there's actually something bigger and stronger than I am and could actually hurt me on any given moment. And we're intoxicated by that danger, by by their power, all of these things. We come face to face with the very reality and the message, which is both humbling and encouraging, that we are not the ultimate power. I need to run away from this bear. Or perhaps an even deeper and more fundamental is who we are. That we're starving for a sense of awe. We want to know this experience. We want to be starstruck. We want to be awestruck, don't we? And when we come face to face, if you've ever been to Yellowstone, you will come face to face with the buffalo because they're everywhere. And we're struck by that. We want to be amazed. We want to encounter the greatness of Yellowstone. That's why we go there, because we're reminded of our place in the universe. There's something more glorious, more beautiful, more wonderful, more amazing, more great than we are. It reminds us that we're searching for something. We all are in the search for this. Our search for our place, our identity. How do we fit in in this world? Where are we fitting in in this world? And we'll go to any lengths to find it, to grab it, to test it, to make sure it holds water. We're constantly searching, aren't we? Constantly after, who am I? Where am I? How do I fit? What am I doing? We look in every nook and cranny of our lives, of our existences, to find this meaning, this power, this energy, whatever it is, however it is you want to define it. 
here in Psalm 11, what we just read this morning, we find it in ways and in means that are just as awe-inspiring as staring face-to-face with a couple thousand-pound bull bison because we're staring face-to-face with the Lord our God and what He has done. You see, because Yellowstone is just one small portion of the greatness of the Lord. For as we know, He created that buffalo. He created that mama bear and her cub and that herd of elk. This psalmist is amazed by the works of the Lord. Just as I was the first time I went to Yellowstone National Park, just as the crowds of bystanders taking pictures of these animals are. In fact, the psalmist states and stares at the majesty and the glory of the Lord because great is the Lord our God. Great are the works of the Lord, is what the psalmist says. It's no wonder that the greatness of the Lord causes something in us to change for the believer. We understand that we do not trust in a power or a meaning or an energy or something like that, but we trust in a person who's created all of these things, who has done this by the power of his voice, who he shows us his works. He supplies us his works. And he also shares his works with us. This then is what Psalm 11 is all about. It's about seeing this greatness about how the Lord does indeed show us how great His works are, how He does supply us with His works, and how He shares His work with us. This then causes us to trust the Lord, to trust in His power, to trust in who He is and Him alone. So if you will, walk through Psalm 111 with me as we, we just see those very things about how great the Lord is and why it is that we can trust Him and trust Him forever, as the psalmist says. In verses 2 to 4, we have our first little section of, of this wonderful, wonderful psalm. We see here that we trust the Lord forever because He puts on display. He doesn't hide His work from us. He shows it to us in amazing and wonderfully imaginative ways. The first four verses of this psalm are just absolutely wonderful if we slow down and take a look at them. So rich with the emotion of, of the psalmist, you can almost feel his, his excitement. You can almost feel him as he's writing these words and his whole body just wants to burst forth in praise because of, as he looks around the world, he says, great is the Lord. Let us praise with my whole body with everything that I am. You can almost hear his heart pounding through his chest. I don't know what he's looking at. Maybe he is staring at a bear and her cub. Maybe he's staring at the sea and the waves crashing onto the beach. I don't know what it is, but nonetheless, his exclamation is, praise the Lord right from the get-go. May we praise the Lord. Why should we praise the Lord? Let me tell you why. But He says that the work of the Lord is something that we continually and always should be amazed by. As a matter of fact, the more we study, the more we look, the more we realize, the more we consider, the more we see, the more we should be moved to praise the Lord. The more we know about the Lord and what He's accomplished for us, the more our hearts should be moved to praise. The more we should be excited about who the Lord is and God shows us His work in all of these things in order that there would be a very practical result. 
that practical result would be that we remember Him. That we remember who He is and what He's done as we stare at the creation, as we look at the world around us. We should see the Lord. We should see what He has done. And, and as He gives us these things, we understand Him more and more. And we then actually begin to see the Lord Himself. No, I'm not saying that we now go and worship buffalo or elk. But they should point us to something. They should point us to the very Creator of who He is and what He has done. These things give us images, snapshots, if you will, portraits of the character of God and His majesty. I want to play a little, not, not really a game, but I, I want to just do something with us here this morning. I want to, I'm going to show a few images for us, and I want you to, to see if you know who these people are. So, I don't know if that's Jack or Chris back there. If you could put up number one, picture number one up for us. So, anybody know who that is? Somebody got it right. Van Gogh. Very good. I'm impressed. Was that Leila? I think I heard Leila's voice back there. Go to number two. Who's that? Good. Some of you, the younger people, are like, who in the wide world is Meryl Streep? All right, so some of you, I heard smatterings of voices for Van Gogh, a little bit more for Meryl Streep. Okay, now for number three. You can do better than that, people. Everybody knows who Tiger Woods is, right? Thanks, you can take him down. As we look a little bit more and more, Some of us knew who Van Gogh was. Some of us were like, eh, I'm not quite sure who that is. I know it's a piece of art that I have saw maybe sometime. Some of us, in the older in the crowd, we knew Meryl Streep when she was that age. I think I was pretty little when she was at that photo time. But not everybody knew who Meryl Streep was. But everybody in the room knew who Tiger Woods was, without any shadow of a doubt. Each one of these portraits gives us a glimpse into who that person was. And as we then look around at the works of the Lord, there's times when we don't always recognize that the Lord is at work. Like when we saw and looked at Van Gogh, we weren't quite sure, well, is it, is it not? Eh, I don't really know. But then there are other times we look at Meryl Streep and we say, yeah, that has a little bit more of a sense of this is God's working in my life. But then there are times when everybody just sees Tiger Woods and it's, Oh yes, this is the work of the Lord. But as we begin to see each one of these portraits, each one of these pictures, a more broad and and a wider sense of who the Lord is begins to come in a clearer and clearer understanding of this is what the Lord has done, not only for me, but for you and for all of His people throughout time. When we see these images, we know right away, that's Tiger. This is how it is with the Lord. So I ask you this morning to not only look at bears and elk, kittens or puppies, mountains or oceans, cattle or sheep. All of these things point to the Lord in amazing and wonderful and great ways. But to look at those things, but also to look in your own life. What is the Lord painting in your life? To have you see? To have you know Him more? Maybe it's subtle, kind of like looking at Van Gogh, like, yeah, I'm not quite sure. But it sure looks like the Lord. Maybe it's Tiger Woods. That's the Lord. And I know it right away. 
what's he doing in your life right now, today? That he's showing you himself. He's painting you a picture, a self-portrait like Van Gogh. Van Gogh painted that picture of himself. How is the Lord painting a self-portrait of himself for you in your life here and now? You see, because all of these things are designed by the Lord to show you his greatness, his majesty, his power, so that you can trust him more and more. So that as we know him more, we have a better sense when, when we do see Van Gogh, oh yes, that is God. That's how he works in my life. That's how he works in the life of this church. And he's faithful to that. He's faithful to the portrait that he paints over and over and over again in our lives. So that when we do come to that time, like, ah, I'm not quite sure, we have a better understanding of, I know that's God. Because this is what he's always done in my life. And I recognize it immediately. This is what the Lord wants to do for us. So let's pay attention to our own hearts and our own lives of how is it the Lord is acting, improving, and showing himself, showing his works to us, just as what we see here in these first few verses of Psalm 111. But not only does the Lord show us his works, he doesn't just say, here they are, enjoy them. He actually gives them to us. He gives us his works. He gives us himself. And that's the middle portion of this psalm here this morning. He says, I'm going to show them to you. Then I'm going to give them to you. If we were to go to Yellowstone National Park, if we were to hop in an airplane or some buses, and all of us were to go right now and drive however many hours it takes to get to Wyoming, Idaho, that neck of the woods, I would take you to one place. It wouldn't be to Old Faithful. It wouldn't be to a mud pot. It wouldn't be to some geyser. Can you put the fourth picture up there, Jack? It would be to this place. This place is the upper and lower falls of Yellowstone National Park. One of the most glorious, amazing places that you will ever lay eyes on. I promise you. I've seen the Grand Canyon. I'll put this up against the Grand Canyon anytime. I was talking with somebody before church I've seen Mount Rushmore. Once you've seen it once, it's, yeah, okay. You could watch and stare at this thing for hours and never get bored because it is that glorious. It's that amazing. It's that wonderful. Thanks, you can take it down. It's the most breathtaking thing that you will ever imagine. It rips down the mountainside from the Teton Mountains, the Rocky Mountains, and the surrounding mountain ranges. The snow melt rips through these rivers and then their river flourishes the surrounding area. It provides the water, the green grasses to the bear, to the bison, to the elk. It gives a place for the endangered fish to swim. It gives food to the animals that surround it. This is what the Lord does. He refreshes and He supplies the works not only to the animals, but to also to us. In verses 5 to 9, this great psalm, we see that the Lord does indeed just do that for us. And when we stop our cars, just like those people in Yellowstone, when we stop our cars and get out of our cars to slow down and take a picture of the falls or of the animals, we begin to have a better understanding of just what this is about. So I'm going to ask us to stop our cars on the road of life here this morning, to get out, 
to take your camera or your phone and let's just take a snapshot of the middle of Psalm 111 to take in the awe, to take in the wonder and the majesty of it all. Like you're a tourist that's never seen it before in your entire life. This is the first time you're seeing a waterfall or a bear or a mountain range or a snow-peaked mountain. Let us look at these few verses with that type of innocence and of wonder to take a snapshot of the work of the Lord and how it is that he not only shows them to us, but he supplies us with his work. Look at verse 7 with me as we enter back into the text. The works of the Lord are faithful and just. The works of the Lord are faithful and just. The works of the Lord are not lies. It's not a magic trick. It's not a cover-up. They are what they are. They are consistent and they are correct. They are not done with carelessness or insensitivity. Think of the flood that covered the earth in Noah's time. It was a deliberate and executed judgment on sin and evil. He flooded the world in judgment of sin. It was deliberate and was executed but it was also deliberate and executed plan of redemption. For he did save Noah and his family. He redeemed people out of that destruction. He was faithful to his people. And he executed both judgment and redemption at the very same time. It wasn't careless. It wasn't flippant. It was in his will. He was faithful to his people and to his promises, but at the very same time, he was just and righteous. This is who the Lord is. It was like a judge who pronounces a verdict. We trust the judge executed the law. And as we witness the Lord continuing to supply us with his works of faithfulness, we see his justice. We see his faithfulness. And that he does indeed give us those very things as a gift to us. And then as we overlap verses 7 and 8, we see more of how the Lord gives us His works. The psalmist says, His works are trustworthy, and they're established forever. What God has said to us in His Word and shown us through His actions are able to be trusted. They have proven themselves to be accurate. They have proven themselves in the weight of evidence, not once or twice, but before the foundations of time. And in every generation to come, the Lord has proven himself faithful. The amazing thing about the fact that the Lord supplies us with his work is that he can be tested and he can be trusted. Tested in the sense of, is this who God is? And we can look back and say, yes, and then I can trust that. The work of the Lord, of his word, shows us this to be true. If we want to know what justice looks like, Read the Gospels. If we want to know how to treat and love other people, read the Sermon on the Mount. If we want to know pretty much anything about anything, we can go into the Bible and we can say, this is how the Lord gives us His work. For His work in His Word is something that is indeed trustworthy and established forever. We can live these things out. We can see that they work. 
We can see that there's wisdom in them. We can see how they play it out. He didn't have to simply give us His grace and mercy. He just does. He's just chosen to do that. He doesn't have to be trustworthy. He doesn't have to be just. He could keep it to Himself, but in turn, He gives it to us. He supplies us with faithfulness and justice. This is who the Lord is. And in verse 9, we see how He supplies us with a covenant promise. The Lord has established His covenant with His people. Friends, let's just stop there for a second again. Let us marvel at the magnitude of this verse tucked away in the middle of Psalm 111. He's established His his covenant forever. Not for a time, not for a moment, but forever. What does this mean? It means that the promise He made to Adam and Eve that there will come a Savior, that will come to fruition. The promise that He made to Moses, the promise that He made to Abram, the promise that He made to all of His people to be their God, that they would be His people forever, remains true. And we sit in this room as testimony to that faithfulness, as testimony to how the Lord gives us a covenant promise that He will be with us forever. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. His promise is just that. He will never deny you. And so this morning I wonder, do you find yourself wondering about life, full of anxiety about who you are, who you might become, who you were. Let us stare at this covenant promise once again this morning. Let us stare at this covenant promise in real time. Because we live in a world where identity is thrown in all kinds of different contexts, isn't it? What do you identify as? Who do you identify as? How are you identified? What does it mean to have an identity? This is the conversation. These are the conversations that we have today, aren't they? These are the conversations in our context. So what is that? That, that, Who am I? What am I? What do I do? Let us stare at this covenant promise in real time. Who you are is wrapped in the blanket of the Lord's covenant promise. Wrapped in the blanket of His grace in Christ The promise is this, that you are His. Your identity is not in your sexuality. It's not in your politics. It's not in your bank account. It's not in what church you attend or don't attend. It's that in Christ, you are an heir. And if you are an heir, then you are co-heirs with Christ. And everything that He has is given to you. This is the identity of the gospel. This is who we are as Christians. So we can have conversations about identity and what we identify as or not as, but as a Christian, we identify as being in Christ. And there's no other opinion that matters more than the Lord God, our Father, who looks at us through the cross, through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus For it's He who bought us into that identity with His death, with His life, with His resurrection. This is who we are. And the Lord says, it is now yours. 
the greatest work of all, His Son, He now supplies to you. And so this is who we are. And so then in verse 9, it says He sent us redemption. He gives us Himself. He gives us Jesus. He says, you are not forgotten. You are not alone. You are not having to be anxious or wondering who you are because I have redeemed you. This is what the Lord says. I've brought you out of the pit of sin and misery and death and brought you to life. The value is the fact that Jesus, he was forsaken, that we wouldn't be forsaken. He was alone, that we wouldn't be alone. He was tortured, that we wouldn't be. It calls for us to place our flag of identity in Him. To place our banner in Him. To raise our flag of Jesus and Jesus alone. That we are His children and nothing, nothing can take that away. He supplies us with Himself. He also says His name is holy and awesome. Awesome in all the right kind of the word awesome. Not in the Lego movie kind of awesome where they sing about everything is awesome because it's just not true. The Lord is awesome. His name is awesome. While we're out of our cars on this road of life and we're stopping and taking pictures of the works of the Lord, let's take a picture of the name of the Lord. Let's imagine a place like the upper and lower falls of Yellowstone National Park Yes, the image the psalmist wants us to see this morning is one of awesomeness, of humility. He wants us, it seems to me, to think of Moses. When Moses encounters Yahweh, I am who I am. And what does Moses' reaction, do you remember? He falls on his face, he covers his face, and he says, I'm not worthy. And the Lord says, take off your shoes, you are on holy ground. This is how the Lord wants us to see him. We've lost that sense of fear, haven't we? We've lost that sense of respect for the name of the Lord. We don't hold Yahweh in the same respect as our Jewish friends do. But when Moses heard the bellowing out of the bush, he knew right then and there he was face to face with I am. And he knew. The only thing he could do was fall to his face. Individually, each one of these things that we just walked through at the heart of Psalm 11 is awe-inspiring and is wonderful. But then as we put them all together in one package, as we put them all together in in the sense that the Lord is faithful and just, that he's trustworthy and he's established his covenant forever, that he's given us redemption, that has given us an identity, that his name is holy, and that he is awesome. You put all of those things together, and the upper lower falls of Yellowstone National Park can't hold a candle to who the Lord is. A bull bison can't hold a candle to the awesomeness and the majesty and the glory and the work of the Lord. We see how faithful he is to us we see how he moves us forward in life. We see the Lord. We see the portrait that he's beginning to paint of himself for us, don't we? This is who I am. 
This is what I've done for you. And then he says, he wants to share his works with us. This is the conclusion of Psalm 111 and verse 10. As awe-inspiring and trustworthy as the works of the Lord are, and as they've proven themselves to be, it's awe-inspiring to me that he doesn't just keep it to himself, but he says, you and I have a part to play in the work of the Lord. He shares it with us. And he says, we too have jobs to do. We have responsibilities to fulfill. We are to be like him. Moses fell on his face in fear of the Lord. Physical fear. Respect kind of fear. The psalmist has this vision of the Lord in mind when he says that the posture of Moses is a good place to start for wisdom. On your knees. On your face. Not in piety. Not in pride. Not in power. Not in your personhood. But in humility on your face. Wisdom starts there. Wisdom is understanding more and more the immense and intense grace that the Lord has bestowed upon each and every one of us. The Apostle Paul recognized that, doesn't he? Where he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Paul, of all people, I am the worst. He starts on his face. This is where we start. The Lord gives us wisdom and humility. He's the one that provides the wisdom. The Lord is the one that paints the portrait of who He is and what He accomplished. He then says wisdom is to paint the same picture in our lives. As we see the Lord and the portrait that He paints of Himself for us, it should mold us to begin to paint a very similar picture of who we are. That our pictures over time should gradually look more and more like the picture that the Lord is painting. That as we paint our lives, it should look more like Jesus. It should more look like what He is painting and what He has painted. And it's from our knees where we start. The psalmist concludes the psalm by providing the, the practical advice to each person in the congregation who's singing this song. Practice the works of the Lord. He actually says that. If we understand the grace the Lord has given to us in our lives, the wisdom, then in turn we are to do the same. Meaning this, if the Lord knew us before we were Christians, while we were sinners, while we were aliens, while we were rebels, while we were outcasts, while we were on the outside, and He enters into our lives and He loves us and He dies for us and He raises from the dead for us, He says, this is then how we live our lives also. If we're painting that picture of who we are and it's looking more like Christ and Christ has done that for us, then guess what? This is how we live our lives. To walk humbly, to love justice, and to do mercy. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to paint our portraits like Christ. We share in the work of the Lord Jesus because that's, who he's, that's what He's done for us. And as we do this more and more and more, as we love and serve, and as we give grace more and more we begin to understand just how much love and grace has been given to us. And as we understand more grace and more love, we're humbled more and more. And as we were humbled more and more, we love and serve more and more. And it goes round and round. And it comes bigger and bigger and bigger. And we want to share more and more. The Lord has gone to the utmost to redeem us. 
He's gone to the pit of hell and back to redeem us out of that pit. The psalmist then concludes the psalm with the most awe-inspiring image of all. We will never, for all of eternity, come to the end of understanding this grace. We will never come to the end of understanding just how wide and how deep and how awesome is the love of the Lord our God. Verse, 11, or verse 10 of Psalm 111, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. And then what happens, the practical end of this psalm, once we understand that, once we see how the Lord has shown us His works, once we see how the Lord has supplied us with His works, and once we see how we have a share in His works, then we conclude and we say with the psalmist, His praise endures forever because that's all we can say because we're on our knees in humble awe and inspired by what the Lord has done for us. And now the bookend of the Lord, he says, praise the Lord. So people of Redeemer Arlington, this, as we walk out of this room today, may the words of the psalmist be on our lips where we say, praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you how you've shown us yourself, how you give us yourself, and how you ask us to take part. Lord, give us wisdom, give us strength to do just that. Give us the ability to love and serve. And Lord, place in our hearts, place in our lives, place on our lips the words of the psalmist. Praise the Lord. And so Lord, we do indeed praise your name forever and ever. Amen.